and today I have Kelly Yates. I'm going to introduce her from her bio. She is a private practice registered dietitian that specializes in migraines and the gut-brain connection. And Kelly is very passionate about promoting a personalized approach for migraine care, empowering migraineers with evidence-based information and making nutrition in interesting, accessible, and fun. Kelly lives in Georgia with her husband and operations manager, David, three cats and a pup. I love cats. <laughs> so do we, yeah, apparently. <laughs> tell three cats, oh my gosh, that's so funny. <laughs> okay, guys, so I brought Kelly on today because I personally know a lot of people that deal with migraines, including my mom. I've had coworkers that deal with migraines. So I wanted to come on here and talk about migraines and nutrition because a lot of people don't realize the correlation between migraines and nutrition. A lot of people think, oh, let me just take an Excedrin and then go to sleep or let me drink a Diet Coke and then I'll be fine. But nutrition, most importantly, plays a very important role in migraines. So today I brought on Kelly and we're going to talk about some questions in regards to migraines and debunking some migraine myths. So Kelly, my first question for you is what is a migraine and what are the typical symptoms? Yes. So I think when most people think of um, migraine, they're thinking of the migraine attack itself. Um, we know now that migraine is a condition that you have 24 seven and then you have migraine attacks, which is where your symptoms manifest. Yeah. So for most people, um, migraine is a migraine attack is going to look like head pain, right? Yeah. That's kind of what most of us think when we think of a migraine attack. Um, you can also have symptoms like nausea, vomiting, um, you can have like cognitive impairment, like brain fog, trouble thinking, trouble concentrating. Um, and then there are also other types of migraine, like there's vestibular migraine where you can feel dizzy or off balance. Um, there's hemiplegic migraine that looks like a stroke, which, which can be pretty scary. Oh, wow. um, so there's lots of different kinds and they can all manifest in different ways. But for most people, the main symptoms going to be head pain or dizziness. Okay. I didn't yeah. I know that there are different types of migraines like that. I have a friend who's dealing with vestibular migraines, and she was confused for months because doctors didn't know like what was going on with her. Yeah. And I told her to watch the live today because I'm going off the migraine dietitian. So I hope she joins. But yeah. That's very interesting. I didn't know the differences. That's really crazy. And like the, the the what was the one with the stroke? The hemo hemiplegic. That is so scary. I cannot even imagine. Yeah. Like that is like really scary. Do they have like actual stroke symptoms? Like droopiness on one side yeah it can affect the one side of the body or the other just like a stroke um, oh. so you can lose function um yeah it can be especially scary even when you know what's happening it can be scary yeah, I could imagine. yeah. do so are those people at higher risk for getting a stroke in the future or is that not related to the migraine itself so most the thinking is that most people with migraine are at an increased risk um, especially people with migraine with aura so that's where you have like visual disturbances usually um which is this is totally different topic but that's one reason why a lot of doctors won't recommend like combo birth control for people with um certain types of migraine because the estrogen also increases our risk of stroke oh, um, oh, okay so that's too high of a risk okay that makes sense <laughs> yeah. wow okay interesting Okay, and now the second question is, how does nutrition play a role in migraines? Yes, um, how much time do you have? <laughs> so, <laughs> many different um, so 
a lot of people who have migraine um, are familiar with the idea of food triggers. So that's probably one of the first ways that a lot of people explore nutrition and food and how it can impact migraine. Because um, not everyone has food triggers, but there can be foods that can trigger a migraine attack for people. Um, these are going to be very individualized. Yeah. So um, a lot of times when you Google stuff, you'll see like, oh, you can't eat chocolate if you have migraine or you can't you know, eat this or whatever. Um, but I really encourage people to pay attention to what's true for for you yeah. um, because all food triggers are going to be very unique. Um, but you can also use food to help with migraine too. It's not just there to, to make yeah. it worse. Um, so we can use food to help balance our blood sugar, which can be beneficial. We can use food to support good gut health, which can be really important. Um, and we can also use food to help with like inflammation and making sure we're preventing deficiencies. So it's really exciting how many ways there are to use food to actually support and positively influence migraine, not just, you know, make it worse. <laughs> yeah. I feel like yeah. a lot of people would typically resort to cutting out foods which can be mm -hmm. more harmful and that can lead to disordered eating. And I know someone had commented on the post that I made of us going live saying that she developed a bad eating disorder for cutting out foods because she was scared of getting a migraine. So it's very scary for people that are unaware of nutrition because that can happen and there can be a lot of food fear, which is really unfortunate. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's part of my story too. Way, you know, before I became a dietitian, I think a lot of us cut out foods because we're scared and we see that we're supposed to, and we just want it to help. And even when it doesn't, it can be hard to add those foods back in because yeah, you're exactly. still a little bit nervous. You're going to feel worse. Yeah. And what is your personal journey with migraines? So I've had migraines since I was a kiddo. So it's, it's been decades now. Um, but honestly, they were not well controlled until the last five to six years okay. um, until I really learned that while medication is super helpful for a lot of people and for me too, it's not the only thing that we can use to help manage migraines. So once I learned about nutrition, about movement, about even like mindset stuff yeah. and stress management, um, that's really been helpful for me to finally see some improvement here in the last several years okay that's nice that's very good yeah i've been utilizing a lot of mindset work in my own practice as well i feel like it makes a huge difference when you're able to think more positively about it and just anticipate that things are going to be good rather than bad because then i feel like bad things actually do end up happening so mindset yeah. work is really important yeah absolutely especially with that anxiety yeah. right? the anticipatory with exactly. migraine yeah um, yeah not to say that it's going to cause a migraine episode, but it yeah. can definitely get you a little bit closer, yeah. you know? <laughs> I feel like yeah. both can correlate because I feel like a migraine can cause anxiety and then anxiety can possibly cause a migraine. So, totally. Yeah. That yeah. Makes okay. And I know, I know that um, the triggers are very individualized, but are there common triggers that are most seen within a general population? or it's literally very individualized. Cause I know Google will tell you like, like you said, avoid chocolate and things like that. Yeah. So I am pretty confident saying that there are two universal triggers. Um, one surprise surprise would be alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> everyone's tolerance is different. Some people can have a drink, some people can't touch it. Yeah. Um, that would be one. And then caffeine is gonna be oh, another really? one. This can be confusing.
interesting because you can also use it to treat a yeah. migraine attack. Yeah, I, I didn't think you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it really depends on the person and your sensitivity to caffeine yeah. um, and how often you drink it as to whether or not it's going to be an effective like abortive okay. for a migraine attack and whether or not it's going to act as a trigger yeah. for a migraine. Um, so that's very, very individual and it can definitely cause some confusion for people as well. But if you have four or 500 milligrams of caffeine in a day and you're someone with migraine, then it, it's very likely to contribute to an attack. Interesting, because I, I know a lot of people would drink soda if they have a, a migraine to help with because of the caffeine. Yeah. Or they'll drink like black coffee. Mm -hmm. So does this apply to caffeine, not caffeine, oh my gosh, caffeine and matcha and tea as well, but or that just depends on the person? Yeah, so it, it depends, or it counts with any source of caffeine. Um, but when it comes to using caffeine to treat attacks, we know that it's most effective um, with current research, which you know is always yeah. fluctuating a little bit, but um, to use about 100 milligrams and only use it two to three times a week. Okay. So when you use it more than that, you start to run the risk of becoming dependent yeah. on it, and then you need to drink it every day. Otherwise, you're going to start getting attacks because oh, of it. Wow. So okay. it's a fine balance. Yeah. No, that <laughs> yeah. makes sense. Have you heard of mushroom coffee or mushroom products? Yeah. How yeah. I feel about those for migraines again individualized but like what's your general opinion on it um i like them for certain people yeah. um mushrooms i'm still iffy on because um i just want to see more research on like liver and and things like yeah. that um but i think for you know some people it can be helpful and some people i mean it can be a trigger. It really just depends on, yeah. on the person, like, unfortunately, so much with migraine. Yeah. Um, but I will say for people who are looking for, like, an alternative to coffee, um, some people really like those mushroom coffees yeah. um, as an alternative. And then there's sort of, like, yeah, like dandelion root tea can be another one. Um, so it could be useful for that, you know. Okay. Yeah, yeah that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I like mushroom coffee. I think it tastes better and it doesn't give me that much anxiety compared to regular coffee. Like, yeah. when I drink regular coffee, I literally feel like I'm going down. Like, oh, it's yeah. horrible. I can't. Yeah, I do like a quarter calf now. Oh, oh really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I feel like that a half I can calf. handle that. Yeah, no, that's funny. Yeah, that's yeah. so true. Okay. And is it possible? And again, I know, um, disclaimer for the rest of the questions I'm going to ask. Nutrition is very individualized. I'm just asking mm -hmm. general questions to help the audience have a better understanding of migraines and nutrition. So Kelly is not going to be giving individualized nutrition advice. Um, it's just general answers. Because I keep saying um, not individualized. I just wanted to put that disclaimer out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but is it possible to manage migraines for good without medications? Um, is it possible? Absolutely. Totally. Um, I hate to keep saying it depends on the person everyone knows that yeah <laughs> um, but, but if you are someone who just doesn't like the idea of taking medications you can absolutely experiment with using food and supplements as appropriate um mindset movement all of that other stuff to see if if you can move the needle and and maybe manage migraine without medications um at the same time i will say depending on the severity of your migraine and the frequency of it some people will need medication yeah. because it is a very serious condition. Um, 
and some people, and this, this was part of my story, some people need like preventative medication to kind of get their head above water to the point where they can start experimenting with food and all of that, you know, lifestyle change. Yeah. Um, and then maybe you can get off of medication eventually once that stuff kind of starts to set in. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then I also wanted to ask, what are some, and then we talked about the food triggers, like possible food triggers, but what are some possible environmental or external triggers mm. that can cause migraines? Yeah. Yeah. These I feel like can be the hardest for a lot of people to manage because we can't always change yeah. these things. Um, one is weather. <laughs> we can't oh, really, really do wow. anything about that. Yeah. Um, barometric, barometric uh, pressure changes in oh, the atmosphere can be, yeah, can okay. be a, a migraine trigger. Um, and there are apps that can help you track that. So at least you can know what to expect and maybe up your, your uh, prevention game a little bit when that's coming. Um, some other things can be temperature changes, still weather related. So when it, the seasons start to change, when it gets really hot or really cold, that can be a trigger for some people. Um, lights, sounds, um, really strong smells like perfumes or candles, um, can be triggers for people as well. Um, and then some weird things like, um, for a lot of people, like light flickering through trees when you're driving can be a big trigger. Oh, okay. Um, wow. Yeah. Certain modes. Emotions, um, like riding in a car, especially people with vestibular migraine, that can be a trigger. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of them out there. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that really is like such a hard condition to live with because it's like there's so many environmental external factors and you obviously can't control your environment. So I yeah. think like, the one, thing, like, one of the things that you can mainly control is your food and nutrition, which is why like that's really important. But like the external factors, that's like really annoying to deal with. Yeah, and there definitely are some things that you can do, like you can travel with earplugs and travel with sunglasses and um, that type of thing. So there are ways that you can kind of blunt those environmental triggers. So they're at least not going to ruin your day, yeah. you know? That makes sense. Okay, so also I had a question that just like left my head. I think I saw actually, okay, now I wanted to ask what, um, which migraine do you think is the most common that people experience, like between the like vestibular or the hema, hemoplasic? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, classic migraine, which is, a, I believe it's also called common okay. migraine, okay. <laughs> is probably the most common. And that's the one with head pain, nausea, brain fog, that type of thing. Okay. That makes sense because yeah. it's like the, the most, like the regular common general one. Yeah, yeah, the one we all think of when we think of migraine. And then after that, well, there's also migraine with aura, which is less common, but head pain is still the main feature. Okay. And then vestibular migraine probably comes after that for how common it is. Okay. And can migraines, like, are, are they genetic as in, like, you're born with them, or do they come later on in life, or everyone is different? So... That is still an area that's being researched. It is thought that there's a strong genetic component for a lot of people, um, but there are also those people who, that they know of, no one in their family has migraine and they're the first. Yeah. So we do know that other things can play a role, like history of concussion, of course, can play a role. Um, sometimes you can see the onset of it after um, having a viral infection or after 
um, you know, unfortunately taking something like birth control or other types of medication. Um, but right now we do think that there, there probably is a genetic component to it in some way. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And I also wanted to ask, oh yeah, my questions keep like leaving my brain. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, for migraines, do they increase your risk for other diseases or disorders? Um, stroke is one of them. We already talked yeah. about that. Um, as far as I'm aware, I believe that's the only one that we know of that it increases your risk of. I could be wrong. There could be something I'm forgetting. Um, there are common comorbidities. So other, you know, conditions that happen with it that we see, but it's not necessarily like a cause and effect kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. I asked like, cause I remember a few years ago, this can just be individualized about one person, but mm -hmm. there's a famous singer back in like the sixties. I think she was, um, she sang like that, that, it's a really popular song with, I can't even remember who it is, but for him, her name was Tammy. And growing up, she had a really bad migraine, and then she ended up getting a brain tumor in her 20s. So that's why I was asking if there's a correlation between that and brain tumors or just anything in general. Yeah. For her. That reminds me, there, there have been some studies about um, changes in the brain. Um, not necessarily tumors, but just changes in the how a brain looks on imaging and uh, that being related with having migraine for a long time. Um, so that would be one. But again, they're still kind of figuring out what that means and whether it, it is something that we see like across the board or just in certain people. Um, as far as I know, it is not just to ease everyone's mind. Yeah. Not in general <laughs> related to brain tumors. That is something that everyone with migraine is always afraid of. Like, do yeah. I actually so yeah because i've never experienced migraines but i would um, like when i was younger and still to this day i'll get like random sharp pains in my head and google for that it's called ice pick headaches so i was always scared that i had a brain tumor especially because i was like a very much a hypochondriac kid and i still kind of am but i calmed down a lot um but i was always scared of that because it would be random i would get like an onset just like these really sharp pains in my head that feels like i'm getting stabbed in the head but it would only last for like a few seconds or a few minutes and then it would go away. But they're so random. Are those part of migraines or are those just different? Because I think they're called ice pick headaches. Yeah, those would be different. Yeah. Um, yeah. And th those are some of the, they think, some of the most painful headaches that you can have. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> I hate that. Yeah. yeah. They're so painful. And it's so random, too, because it'll come out of nowhere and, like, so like, the pain will radiate sometimes, like all throughout my head, but then it would just go away after a few seconds. It's so strange. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I also wanted to debunk some common migraine myths. I don't know of that much off the top of my head, but if you know of any myths that people usually think that is wrong. <laughs> yes. Um, one that comes to mind and this is really debunking this myth is to help protect people a little yeah. bit. Um, but the idea that you can cure migraine, unfortunately, as of now, is a myth. Um, we can all have the goal of getting into remission where we yeah. don't have any active symptoms. Like, that would be awesome. We all want that. Um, but if anyone is telling you they can cure your migraine or trying to sell you something that's going to cure your migraine, that is a huge red flag. Yeah. That is a myth. Yeah. I can imagine. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are there any other ones or that's just the main one? Um, 
the the other one that we kind of already talked about but i would love to just reiterate it yeah. is that there aren't really any like other than alcohol and caffeine like any universal migraine triggers there's no like diet that will magically fix all of your problems that everyone will benefit from um, nutrition for migraine is very individual, just like it is for most things. Um, but just be careful with those diets. They're not going to be a cure-all. Um, and if you don't want to do it, those of you with migraine, if you don't want to do those restrictive diets, you do not have to. It is not the only option. Okay, yeah, I think that's, what's the word? A reassuring for some people to hear because a lot of people will definitely mm -hmm. go on Google and type in, like, what's the best diet for migraines and then come across, like, I don't know, keto or something very restrictive. Yeah. And it can it can be more harmful than good. So exactly. And yeah. I think my last question will actually two more questions, and then I want to open the floor for some questions. I saw some, but they were, it was going so fast. <laughs> you might have missed some. Yeah. Um, in general, what are some common nutrient deficiencies that we may see in people that have migraines? Yes. Ooh, this is a really good one. Um, there are a handful that I see a lot. Um, magnesium yeah. would be a huge one. Yeah. <laughs> um, magnesium is one vitamin D no surprise. Yeah. That's another one. Um, but some other ones that may not be, you know, springing to everyone's mind would be CoQ10. Oh, That's one. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think that from a biochemical standpoint, I think that that makes sense for us, but I can yeah. see how other people wouldn't think that that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. With the mitochondria and energy production and all yeah. of that, it definitely makes sense from that standpoint. Um, and then omega-3 fatty acids. Yes, of course. Uh, and that imbalance with three to six, omega-3 to omega-6, that can be problematic um, for migraine and of course for a lot of other things. Yeah. Um, and that is a pretty common imbalance that we see here in the West anyway. Oh yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. And can you? Yeah just briefly not to get too deep but can you just explain what coq10 is because some people may not know yeah yeah, yeah i would love to <laughs> um so coq10 is a molecule that works in the mitochondria so when you hear mitochondria you might uh remember powerhouse of the cell right like it's where we produce energy from food um and that coq10 is like a little guy on the assembly line of your cells being able to produce energy so if you don't have enough coq10 and other things too um, then you might have trouble producing energy from your food and then your body's not going to be able to function as effectively um, there's even some theories that migraine is a type of mitochondrial dysfunction oh, so that's how important okay. this stuff is for us um, that's another reason why we love b vitamins too for migraine because of that energy production piece that makes sense. Yeah. And guys, just so you know, CoQ10 is C-O-Q and then 10. So you may have seen it in grocery stores, but like, it, it's like a really weird name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or coenzyme Q10. It's oh, not yeah. that way, but yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to also ask you if you can explain the difference between omega-3s and omega-6s. I know there's a lot of fear around omega-6 because of seed oils. So yeah. if you can talk about that a little bit. Totally, yeah. So um, the good thing that can feel a little bit reassuring, I think, is that omega-3s and omega-6s are both essential fatty acids. So that means that we do need them both. You don't need to be afraid of omega-6s. 
Um, but most of us just tend to have way more omega-6s in our body than omega-3. So we want not a one-to-one -one balance, but much closer to one-to-one. Um, so omega-6s, like you said, they primarily in our diets come from seed oils, um, which is in, you know, highly processed foods. Uh, you can also buy it and use it as a cooking oil. Um, and then omega-3s are found most easily, like from salmon. That's what yeah. most of us think of with the omega-3s. Um, and then, of course, there are omega-3 supplements as well. So most people, and we see this reflected in the research, most people with migraine um, see the greatest benefit from boosting omega-3 content and reducing omega-6 content. But I also want to throw out there that if you only in, increase omega-3 content and don't change omega-6 at all when it comes to your diet, you're still going to see an improvement. So if oh, you okay. don't want to cut anything out, you don't have to. You're still going to see benefits. Okay. Yeah. And just so everyone knows, just to go into a little bit more detail, so omega-3s, as she said, are healthy fats that our body needs. We can get them from fatty fish such as salmon, mackerel, tuna, and also nuts and seeds as well. Mm -hmm. And omega-3 is more so a pro- is it pro? No, it's anti-inflammatory. And then yeah. omega-6s have a more pro-inflammatory response. So that's why there's a lot of um, what, like misinformation about seed oils being bad for you. So if you see like, people on your feet like, trying to tell you not to eat seed oils and things like that, it's because of that. But like Kelly said, they're both essential for the body, meaning that they're required for us. So you do need a balance of omega-3s and 6, but it's beneficial to have more omega-3s than it is a six to get that anti-inflammatory benefit. Exactly, yep. Yeah. Okay, so that's really good. Okay, so do you have any general tips for people who deal with migraines, like just general? Yeah, um, I would say a good like takeaway tip that's gonna be good for most people, very general, is to try Increasing hydration, which that might be very annoying for some of y'all to hear because you're always being able to drink water, but truly, like, take a look at how much water you're drinking. You should be having about two of these yeah. every day. Um, and then try electrolytes and see if that helps. Electrolytes are really important for hydration and for our nervous system. So yeah. migraine is a, a condition of the nervous system in part. Um, so that can be really helpful too. Uh, yeah, I was actually going to ask. So I know there's a lot of like controversy around water sometimes where it's like uh, apparently American water has no benefits and then European water has benefits because it has minerals mm -hmm. and electrolytes. Mm -hmm. Do you think that people need to drink water with minerals or electrolytes or is regular water without minerals or electrolytes just as good as the other? Yeah. Um, I mean... I do think there is benefit to adding minerals to your water. Yeah. Now, I don't add, like, this is just plain old water, yeah. so I don't <laughs> add it every time I drink. Um, but the, the downside of having clean, filtered water um, is that the minerals are removed as well. Yeah. So adding those back at least, you know, once or twice a day, I think, can have a big benefit. Yeah. Yeah. I typically add electrolyte drops to my water, especially before the gym. And I try to drink at least like one water bottle. Like I have a 40 ounce. So I try to drink at least one of these electrolytes and then another one. It doesn't matter if it has with or without the second one, but I try to drink yeah. at least one because electrolytes are also good, as she said, for replenishing your cells. It's good for the gym because you're sweating out a lot of electrolytes. So you want to replenish with them, which is why it's really good to add that into your water sometimes. Mm -hmm. But are there natural sources of electrolytes that we can add to our water? 
Ooh, yeah. So one kind of natural electrolyte drink with one stipulation, I'd say is coconut water. Like yeah. no surprise. <laughs> um, but coconut water is very low in sodium, which for some people is, is going to be great. Yeah. Um, but for a lot of my clients, I'll recommend just adding a little sprinkle of salt in there to kind of balance out the potassium. Um, and that can be a great, really easy, natural electrolyte drink. And you can also water it down if you feel like it's way too strong. Okay. Because I know a lot of people, well, I feel like it's half and half. Like you either hate coconut water or you love it. I love coconut yeah. water, especially when I'm traveling. I love to find a fresh coconut and drink the coconut water. So, yeah. yeah. That's the best. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And I also wanted to ask you, so again, this is individualized, but I know some people would drink soda for their migraines, but then again, soda has a lot of sugar in it. So what, the, what is your opinion on soda for migraines? So I, first of all, if that works for you, I'm not going to tell you not to do it because yeah. <laughs> I know when you need to get rid of an attack, you need to get rid of an attack. Yeah. So I'm not going to judge that at all. But I would say like, let's examine that a little bit. And if soda really works for you, I would say maybe we could work on making sure that your blood sugar is well balanced throughout the day. Cause I'm wondering if soda helps. Maybe you had some low blood sugar before that contributed to the onset of that attack. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. If I was working with someone one-on-one, -on -one, then that's probably what I would explore and just kind of look at their meal frequency, make sure, you know, their meals are balanced and that could actually help improve their migraine overall. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And a lot of these questions I've been coming up with, because I feel like I didn't write down enough questions to ask you. So I don't want people to like be like, oh, I didn't really get that much information from this um but i'm just asking very like simple i'm not gonna like hit you with like a crazy question um but <laughs> what is the importance of sleep hygiene and migraines oh my gosh how have we not, not talked about sleep yet yeah, that's a really I, good I know. Yes. <laughs> um it could not be more important um and unfortunately i know sleep can be if you struggle with sleep it can be such a hard thing to fix um, but I would make that one of my top priorities because if you're not sleeping well, your brain is really going to suffer. Um, your anxiety mood's going to yeah. suffer. And of course your, your migraine is, is not going to be well controlled that way. Um, and there are some things that you can do like nutrition wise, even to help with that. Um, like Tulsi tea and tart yeah. cherry juice. Those can be some, some beneficial things. Um, but definitely if you're someone who struggles with sleep, you know, talk with your doctor, get a sleep study done. Um, but if you're just wanting to improve your sleep hygiene, um, when it comes to migraine, waking up and going to sleep at roughly the same time every day, like within ideally 30 minutes, which can be tricky. Um, that's going to be ideal because migraine loves consistency. That's what I love to say to people. Um, and that includes with sleep in your routine. And for those who want to know more, I have a podcast called the Anxious It Girl Podcast on Apple and Spotify. And I actually just recently did an episode on how to improve your sleep hygiene. I went over a lot of different tips about that. So you guys can go check that out by clicking the link in my bio if you want more information on how to improve your sleep hygiene, which can help with the mm -hmm. migraines. Yeah. Okay. okay, so I think, do you have any other information to add about migraines that you want people to know? Um, I think this is definitely a, a big topic, but um, I would say if you're really struggling with seeing improvement and you feel like you've kind of done a lot of the stuff that we've already talked about here today, then looking more into 
hormone support and um, gut health support would be a really good next step to, to explore. Um, I have a ton of information about that stuff on my page and on my website. Um, but like with gut health, we know that even just increasing the amount of fiber in your diet can yeah. help with migraines. So that's a really rich area to explore and possibly see some improvements too. Okay, nice. And I post a lot of fiber content on my page for those who are interested. Perfect. I'm gonna scroll through these comments and see what questions we missed. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly, this is a log. I'm actually really happy that all these people joined. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Our S Malik seven two two one said, "Hi, my husband gets bad migraines. Mm. Um, can you suggest anything that would help him?" So I would start with all of this stuff. I would sit down and watch this with him together, like watch the recording if, if he's not there with you. Um, I, I get a lot of messages from partners of people with migraine. The best thing you can do is get them involved in stuff like this yeah. and help them learn more if they're not already. They might already be doing that. Um, but you can't do the work for them. So get them here. It would be the best thing to do yeah <laughs> this yeah. life has a lot of good information so definitely have your husband watch yeah. it okay. Okay. my mom says hi hi <laughs> hi mom <laughs> <laughs> i told her to join make sure she watches because she always has my dreams oh yeah <laughs> um okay um Brittany 44 underscore said, what are commonly the causes for having headaches a lot? Ooh, so if we're talking, and actually I'll talk about headaches and migraine attacks, because a lot of these are kind of similar. Yeah. Um, dehydration is a big one. We kind of talked about that. Um, skipping meals or not eating enough at meals is a huge common trigger. Um, poor quality sleep or not getting enough sleep. We talked about that one. Um, and then one that people may not think about, especially if you're someone who is objectively like healthy, right? You're doing all the right things. You're getting exercise. You're eating well. Um, exercise itself can be a trigger for a lot of people. I'm going to ask that, yeah. but I figure it depends on the person, but that, that makes sense. Yeah. And it, it can be helpful. Like we know that establishing an exercise routine is beneficial for migraine, but we've got to make sure it's movement that suits you and isn't going to trigger you. So that's also something to pay attention to, um, especially if you exercise frequently, like every day or most days, to make sure it's not actually making you feel worse. That makes sense. Do you think there's a difference or any studies that shows the difference between low intensity versus high intensity exercise and the triggers or just in general? Yeah, so high intensity is going to be more triggering um, just because your heart rate's getting up much higher, um, you're sweating a lot, um, and even some of the activities that we're doing, like high-intensity interval training and things like that, it can just be jarring um, to your body, like your physical body, and that can itself even be a trigger. Yeah. And this is a really random question. I don't know. Do you know what subliminals are? I don't think so. Okay. Never mind. I was going to ask if you think that that could possibly cause it, but... It's okay. <laughs> I wanted to, oh wait, no. So she's, sorry. I don't know what I was saying just now. Um, Miranda Sutton, 722 says, would a nutritionist be willing to work with me to make changes even though I'm very picky? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> 
absolutely. Um, it, it is not just you who's picky. A lot of people are picky, whether it's with specific foods or specific textures. Um, there's always a way to work with that. Um, either work around that or if you are wanting to potentially diversify and expand your diet, that's also something a, a dietitian can help you with too. Yeah, guys, so dietitians help with like literally, I feel like almost everything. And one of the things that we mainly mm -hmm. focus on is a lot of picky eating. Oh, yeah. So I know some people may be hesitant to see a dietitian because they'd be like, what's the point if I don't eat all these foods? But dietitians will generally help you to add more to your diet or it'll help you to eat the foods that you like, but basically like expanding your palate. Because I know that for me, I used to work in pediatrics and the main concern in mm. pediatrics and kids is picky eating. So it's definitely something that can be um, helped regardless of whether, um, well, it can be helped if you think that it doesn't help, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so it, a dietitian can definitely help you with that. Yeah. And then that's, Oh, she says, this was amazing. Very informative. Thank you. Okay, nice. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay. And Brittany444 oh, says, does Chiari malformation causes migraines? I don't know. What yeah, Chiari malformation. What is that? <laughs> so that is, it involves like this, like brainstem kind of area. Okay. Um, I am not an expert on this, but it's where um, things are kind of almost leaking through where they're not supposed oh. to. Um, but there is some thought that this could cause migraine for some people or be a trigger for some people. Um, this is my not an expert opinion on this, but I have, I've worked with several people who have had surgeries or treatments to help address this to get rid of their migraine. And for a lot of people, it just doesn't work. Oh, wow. um, oh. So it's probably something that we just need more research around. Um, but there are a lot of people um, versus the general population who have this carry malformation um, and migraine. So it isn't, it is kind of interesting. I've never heard of that before. Wait, so are people born with that or does it happen later in life? I actually don't know the answer to that. I think it's something you're born with, um, but I am not sure. The person who asked this, Brittany, might actually know the answer to that uh, better than me if you're someone who has it. Um, but yeah, when, when you work with a lot of people with migraine, you'll come across conditions you have and never heard of because yes. it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's one of those things that attracts comorbidities that you're like, wait, what is that? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. Like, even my friend with the vestibular migraines, I was like, what? I was like, what? Like, I literally, because she had went out of the country, so I thought maybe she got bit by a bug that caused, like, yeah. some, like, like um, psychiatric, like, symptoms. But it ended up being that with, like, a combo of vertigo. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. But I, yeah, it's very interesting how migraines can, like, manifest and the different causes of them as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Miranda says, I tried to see a nutritionist and my primary care refused to refer me because of my pickiness. <laughs> they should re refer you because of that <laughs> no literally literally yeah that's so yeah. crazy someone said could you mention some over-the-counter magnesium and vitamin d medicines okay so when it comes to magnesium 
Um, I really like magnesium glycinate. That's a form of magnesium. Um, there's also magnesium threonate, T-H-R-E-O-N-A-T-E. Um, but magnesium glycinate is going to be much easier to find. That one tends to work really well for people with migraine. Um, and then with vitamin D, um, that is one that I don't know how you feel about this, probably the same, but you, you usually want to get tested before you take yeah. that to see what your levels are. Um, there is a dose that's kind of considered a maintenance dose that probably won't hurt you, but um, I think it's always good to see what your levels are before taking vitamin D so you can get the right dosage and not overdose because you can take too much of vitamin D. Yeah, so vitamin D for, um, for those who are watching is a vitamin, but also it works as a hormone as well. So that's why you want to make sure to get tested before so that you're not over consuming a hormone, which can do a lot of harm. And vitamin D comes from the sun and it's uh, made through basically our skin. But for people of darker skin tones, we can be more vitamin D deficient than people of lighter skin tones. So if you are a person of color, it is beneficial that you get tested for your vitamin D levels to check, but that's anyone general. I don't know why I just only said people of color, but um, I, well, I was trying to say that people of color should get tested because we are more at risk for deficiency, but in general, you should definitely get tested to see. But I think a general maintenance would be maybe around a, a thousand to 2000. If you see a product that has like 10,000 IUs, please do not buy that product because the maximum dose for vitamin D I know when I was in school, it was 5,000, but then they switched it over to 4,000. Mm. Yeah, I think it, it depends on your level because yeah. you know, they're on like 50,000 a week. Yeah. You know, so that would be what, like 7,000 a day-ish. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you definitely don't want to take those doses if you don't need them because that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like typically if you get a high dose, it's from a doctor who knows yeah. that you are deficient. But if you're just looking for a general daily vitamin D over the counter, please do not get one that's higher than like 4,000 because anything higher than that is like really crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and um, having vitamins in excess can actually do more harm than good because you don't want to have too many things in excess that can actually cause more inflammation in the body. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um... Does anyone have any more questions they would like to ask Kelly before we go? Let me see how people oh. are joining. Yeah, I see some familiar faces. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If no one has any more questions, Kelly, can you tell people how they can find you, how to work with you, everything about you and what you offer? any programs, anything? Yeah. <laughs> so the best place to find me is here on Instagram at the migraine dietitian, the dot migraine dot dietitian. Um, I also have a website that you can find me on. I have some articles on there um, that I update irregularly. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I work with people through my raise your threshold program. So it's a really like supportive group environment. The program is self-paced. And then you can add one-on-one -on -one support to that if you're someone who really deals well with like personalized recommendations, personal accountability, that type of thing. Um, so that's always an option as well, depending on where you're located, so. Okay, nice. And someone actually just asked, can too much screen time cause migraines? Oh yeah, that can definitely be a trigger. 
Um, and if you are, I don't have them with me, but um, look up migraine glasses. You can also DM me all if you have any further questions. Um, but look up migraine glasses because those can be really helpful for preventing screens triggering you. But even using those tools, if you're on screens for like eight hours a day, you'll want to incorporate some breaks and things like that because it's hard even with all the tools and you know special glasses and filters and stuff, it's probably still going to impact you. Yeah, actually speaking of that question, do you think there's a difference between, well, at least with migraines, with using blue light versus like blue light glasses? Like, that, that does the blue light make a difference for triggering in, um, the migraines? Yeah, and this, this has actually been studied a good bit, and there are very specific wavelengths that they know can trigger migraine. So that's why, like, you can totally get some blue light blocking glasses, and I think that's a really great step. Um, migraine glasses are created to block those very specific wavelengths. Oh, okay. um, cool. They do tend to be more expensive, okay. but... I think it's a good investment if that's something that really bothers you. Okay, and another tip for you guys on the, I know for iPhones, I'm not sure about um, Android phones, but on the iPhone, there's a setting called the night shift setting that removes the blue light off of your phone um, at a certain time of the day that you request it to be. Or if you mm -hmm. just want the blue light off like the whole entire day, you can do that. It's called the night shift mode, I think. So that can be another free option for you guys. Um, but then again, there's, the migraine glasses, the blue light glasses, I'm pretty sure there's blue light screen protectors. So there's a lot of different options for you guys out there. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good uh, recommendation with the night shift. There's even like, there are green lamps and green light bulbs because that wavelength has been shown to be soothing and, oh, and wow. helpful for people with migraine. Yeah, there's a lot of cool data around wavelengths of light okay. and migraine. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, sorry, again, speaking of wavelengths, so, <laughs> um, so earlier I had asked if you knew what subliminals were because they're um, they're basically like this frequency that people can listen to, but it's it's um, wired with affirmations in them. So it helps people to rewire their subconscious mind without their, I guess, conscious mind hearing it. <laughs> um, so there's different frequencies like there's alpha waves, and then there's um, I think theta and delta waves, other ways like yeah. that, and they all have different impacts. So I know. Alpha ways can help with anxiety and stuff. Um, so that's why I wanted to know if you had any opinion on that because I don't know if it can be triggering for some people or not, but there's subliminals on like YouTube and things like that. So that's why I just wanted to ask your opinion on that because I use subliminals in my daily routine, but I use them for anxiety purposes and for like helping me to basically like manifest and rewiring my subconscious. So I think mm -hmm. it would be interesting to see if that can help with migraines. Yeah, that is interesting. I've heard of like the different like alpha waves and things like that. I haven't yeah. heard of subliminals though, so I'm curious to look that up because yeah. I feel like I would like yeah. that. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm actually not familiar with the data on that and migraine. I would definitely think it would be individual just because of how sensitive we are to sound. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm curious to look into that now. Yeah, no, they're, they're honestly so cool because they usually recommend that, and this is general aside from my friends yeah. that are talking about guys. So um, they typically recommend that subliminals be listened to for at least 21 days to get the full effect. And it just really helps to rewire your subconscious by removing limiting beliefs or negative thoughts or just having a more positive mindset. So it's really beneficial in anxiety. Um, and it helps to remove a lot of fear and worries and stress from the body. 
So there's like a bunch of different subliminals on YouTube and other apps. Um, like they have subliminals for um, attracting like your dream partner or attracting a house, attracting money. Like there's a lot. So it's really cool how like there's a lot of um, things out there that help that help the brain and like the subconscious that can help to possibly help with migraines. I don't know if it does. We don't know the research behind that. But yeah, that's just another thing I want to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. And then Prusa Cali says, thank you. That's super useful information. Good. You're so welcome. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. I really hope that this live helped you guys. And the replay is going to be on my page. And again, Kelly um, gave her contact information. You can find her on Instagram at The Migraine Dietitian. And I'm also going to be um, saving this and uploading it as a podcast episode. So you guys can check out the Anxious Echo podcast available on Apple and Spotify. And in the comment box below, it's also going to have her information as well. Perfect. Thank you so much for having me. Of this course. Great. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks. Awesome. Bye, Take care. everyone. Bye. Bye, Kelly. Bye.